So it's great to uh, be with you again. Somebody said to me this morning, hey, you were here last week. What are you doing here again? I, I felt it, it had uh, sort of a two notes to it, you know. Um, one was, uh, hey, this is amazing to see you two Sundays in a run. The other was, why aren't you somewhere else in the world doing your job? Uh, so I apologize anyway for uh, not being elsewhere in the world and doing uh, uh, you know, what I do quite a lot. Um, but I do have some international visitors with me, uh, a, a beautiful family from India who are good friends. So we've got Naren, Suleika, and Karishma uh, from Mumbai. Uh, they're part of Gateways Ministries Church and lead a number of churches in the city of Mumbai. Uh, so it's great to have them here. And you heard a prophetic word from Naren. Why don't you just stand up and people can, I hope, welcome. Yeah. So even if I'm not over there, they're here, and, uh, and we're, we're together. So uh, that's good fun. And, and uh, they have been sort of part of a welcome that I have received regularly over the years uh, in Mumbai, and uh, Naren and I have worked a fair bit together. He's also taken me around and, you know, sort of managed my travel around the city of Mumbai at various times. And uh, those of you who know Mumbai know that's a great blessing. <laughs> because uh, it can be just a little bit over, overwhelming. Um, so it is good to be here again. I do give you Lorraine's love. She can't be here. Uh, her father died just a little bit earlier this week, and there are various family arriving today for a funeral tomorrow. Uh, and, but she sends her love because in the normal way she would be here as well. I'm going to mention that a little bit later for a particular reason. So the title that I was given for this morning in this uh, in this sort of series of golden threads. Earlier in the year, you did the big story of the Bible, and there were certain golden threads that we felt, or at least the leaders here felt, they wanted us to go back to. And here's one big question, can I know God? Well, actually, that's the title that I was given. I actually much preferred the title that was on the notices, uh, which said, Steve Thomas will be speaking on, You Can Know God. So the question has already been answered uh, by the, the notice sort of PowerPoint, um, but this is what I was given, can I know God? Actually, it's a question for many. Uh, last night, uh, with my family, we just sort of wanted something to do, and we decided to watch the Stephen Hawkins film that a number of you will have seen, I'm sure, such excellent acting uh, in that Stephen Hawkins film. Um, but, you know, this sort of tension that goes on between him and his first wife. As to, so, so is that why you don't believe in God? Is that the end of it now? You've got this scientific viewpoint. Does that really prove that God doesn't exist? And you could see in her questioning of him, actually, that it wasn't slam dunk. It wasn't that clear uh, that, you know, he had disproved the existence of God. Uh, and it's a question that many people ask themselves, can I know God? How can I know God? Um, and yet the story of the Bible, and I want to sort of say to you, there are many questions that you don't get answered just by thinking your own thoughts. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so one of the things that you have to do if you want to ask answer some questions is you have to go to an authority. 
you have to go to someone who knows a little bit more than you. And I want to suggest that one of the things you will have to do if you want to find out, can I know God, is to read your Bible. (laughs) Because that's the authoritative book about this. Because it starts with the fact that, uh, you know, God had an original plan. And it comes out in the Garden of Eden. And I know that in preaching on the big story, Steve especially was talking about the original plan, God's creative plan in the Garden of Eden. Now, I debated actually to read the whole of Genesis chapter 2 this morning. And you know how sometimes you toss up, do I, don't I? This is quite a long passage, and uh, I decided not to. But if you want to know what God's original intention for men and women is, you need to start at the beginning. And you need to ask yourself, so what was God's plan? And I'm now on my second point. The PowerPoint's on the, on the title, but I'm now on my, or at least my first point. Um, so uh, it's this question, can I know God? But, but this Garden of Eden story is all about what God intended in the beginning. Now, I love reading Genesis chapter 2. And the reason I love it is because it's got this sort of highly poetic feel of what God really intended at the beginning. He intended a garden where rivers would come up spontaneously and flow and bring life that would keep multiplying and keep growing. It was a, it's a lush garden picture with the whole beauty of creation. And then, you know, he decides to put human beings right in the center of the garden. This beautiful garden that he's created for us. Now, isn't this a gorgeous time of year? And haven't you enjoyed the last few days? And, uh, of course, all of us strip off as soon as the sun comes out and, you know, just enjoy it. But it's, it's flowers that are also springing into life. And I have to say, uh, Lorraine and I live in a village uh, a few miles out of here. We moved there to take care of her parents. Um, but 5 o'clock this morning, we had the window open, obviously. All I could hear was the dawn chorus of different birds and different calls, not a single car, not a single horn, uh, you know, but, uh, but just the beauty of the dawn chorus. But it was enough to wake me up at five o'clock this morning and start me praying for this morning. So there you go. There are some blessings. And it's this glorious sense of the beauty of creation that, you know, God has opened up and put men and women right in the center of it. We live in a good world. We live in a beautiful world. We live in a world with lots of life. Uh, And the great thing about uh, this is, you know, we're right in the center of God's beautiful creation, where... God comes down and talks to Adam. God comes down and talks to Adam. This is how it was meant to be. Right at the beginning, and for that matter, all the way through. That God comes down and talks to us. And that's what John started off his prophecy uh, with this morning. Well, so it's like this. Well, it was something like that. So it's like this. God loves us. (laughs) 
And he's put us in his garden, in his creation. And what's more, he comes down to talk with us. And he comes down to commune with us. And that's why I like reading Genesis chapter 2. Because you have God coming down and walking with man in the cool of the day. That means when the hot sunshine period is over. And it's just beautiful. It's that evening time. Uh, which is one of the best times to go for a walk. And God comes down then to talk to his people and to refresh his people with fellowship. Because what God planned in the beginning was to be intimate with us, his creation. For there to be no gap. Actually, uh, he intended in the first place that we would live in a relationship with him which would never be broken and which would never be interrupted because God would keep coming down and walking in the garden of his creation with us. There's a sense of harmony with nature. And as, you know, they don't have to cover themselves up, they're naked. There was a simplicity and a naivety and a fellowship with God and with others that was beautiful. I want to suggest to you this morning that's still God's plan. Right. And the rest of the Bible, you see, the Bible comes in two parts. First three chapters tell you what God planned, and the rest of the Bible tells you how God did what he planned to do, how he restored man back to that original relationship. I mean, sometimes we divide it between Old Testament and New Testament. I'll give you a simpler division. There's Genesis 1 to 3, and then the rest. Okay, And the rest is how God restores his relationship with us, and what he wants from that relationship. But that sets, if you like, that sets God's aspiration, God's design, God's desire, and it's still God's desire now. So, our sin, our turning away from God, and I'm sure you understand that we can't blame Adam because we're exactly the same as him. Uh, We like to be in charge of life ourselves and our own lives. Who here likes running their own lives and doesn't like anybody else telling them what to do? Okay, that's who we are. That's us human beings. It's not the best solution for us because actually the best solution for us is when we listen to what God wants and we do what he wants. That will be the key and the road to uh, unmitigated blessing. Uh, But that's not how any of us like to live. And so, like Adam and Eve, we decide to take our destiny in our own hands, and we want to run our own lives, and we want to do what we want to do. And just as they ate the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, we would do exactly the same, and we do do exactly the same. And so, our knowledge of God gets broken. And the rest of the story is about God coming down in one way or another because he still wants to know his people. Now, Eileen, in her, it was either her prayer or her introduction, I can't remember which it was, but it was very good. Um, Eileen talked about Jacob having a vision of God. Because one of the things that we see through the Bible story is God coming down to make himself known. God coming down to make himself known. So the story of Jacob 
is one of those stories. And we're going to read a couple of stories about Jacob, and I have a particular reason for reading them both. So let's start with Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 17. Um, Andy and Ruth, I had a word for you this morning, and I didn't give it. Um, And so I'm going to give it now. Or no, can I give you a note that I need to give it to you afterwards? I won't interrupt what I... But if if I don't say that, um, I'm one of those people who gets a bit tunnel-visioned about what the next thing in life is and forget sort of, you know, uh, things that are going on around me. I've got a word for you. Okay, Exodus chapter 28, verse 10. It's not that at all. It's Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. First I got Paul mixed up with Peter. Now I've got Genesis mixed up with... Exodus. There we go. Verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I'll give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. Now that's often what happens when we have an encounter with God. We don't always understand that God is sneaking up on us. Have you ever had God sneak up on you? And he suddenly shows you something. Boy, I wasn't expecting that. And this becomes Bethel, a house of God. He was afraid. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Don't you love that phrase? This is experience I've had, this dream and vision of a ladder or a stairway going up to heaven, which tells me God wants to come down and fellowship with me, and I can ascend and fellowship with him. This revelation is the gateway of heaven. This opens the door of heaven to you and me. And it's it's this understanding that I have access to heaven. You have access to heaven. We have a relationship with God. This was Jacob's first dramatic encounter with God. We have access. One way or another, God wants you and me to understand we have access into his presence firstly because he comes down and then because we can go up into his presence and it is powerful for jacob it changed and he was he was slight i like that he was slightly afraid because you might expect to think oh isn't that good but when you consider that 
God himself comes down, it has a bit sort of a heavyweight feel to it. And actually, he starts off giving the promise that he gives by saying, I am the Lord your God. (laughs) Big voice. I'm the Lord your God. Do you understand? I do come down, but, but actually it's to have a profound encounter in your life. I remember, this is a total, total aside, but let me tell the story. Um, I remember in a period of my life when I was, I was sort of hesitating between two things. And do I do this or do I do that? And was God with this or was God with that? And I happened to be in Northern Ireland. And a, a prophetic man came up to me, and I was just minding my own business. I was just, he said, Steve, he said, um, I just uh, want to talk to you. I've got a prophetic word for you. So, so yes, you please get up. Please get up. And he said, he said, I feel like, he said, you're seeking the Lord about something specific at this time. And I, I thought, oh, great, I'm going to get the answer. Have you ever thought that one? I'm going to get the answer. He said, well, he said, this is what God says to you. You're saying, should I go this way? Should I go that way? Am I in this or am I in that? God says, I'm here. (laughs) And he literally put his nose about an inch away from my nose. Just like he said, I'm here. And as commander of the army of the Lord, have I come. Now, Those of you who've read your Bible a little bit, you understand that comes from the story of Joshua, who was just about to take Jericho. And and Joshua's saying to God, are you with us? And God says to him, I'm not with you, tagging along behind in your army. I'm the captain. Thank you, that'll do. He's going to sit down. And and so this prophetic man came and he said, I'm the captain. Oh, right. Oh, okay. He's not just sort of tagging along and he's not with me in the sense that he's going to pat me on the head and just gently make everything all right. He is coming to lead me a certain way because he's the captain and there is only one choice I have to make. Do I follow him or not? And do I go with him or not? Okay, so these revelations seem to be nice and gentle, don't they? Here's here's a stairway, Jacob. I'm the Lord your God. Come and walk with me. Come and receive my life. Come and have fellowship with me, but walk my way. Great revelation. (laughs) Fourteen years later, at least, And we know this because he'd married two wives and he had to work seven years for each of them because his father-in-law was a bigger trickster than he was. (laughs) The Lord knows how to set one to catch one. And uh, we sometimes find ourselves sort of, you know, uh, in some sort of way. God's done a number on us. And he gets to a place which he calls later Peniel. It's in Genesis chapter 32. Would you like to read this story? Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. That night, 
Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the the ford of the Jaddok. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. So Jacob was left alone. There are some revelations that you need to be on your own for. And actually, the fellowship of others can often get in the way. And you need to know how to get time on your own with God. Because some of the revelations he wants to give us, you'll never get any other way. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I'll not let you go unless unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And the word Israel means struggle, one who struggles with God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he he replied, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, that means face, the face of God. It's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now the first encounter that Jacob had about the stairway leading up to heaven had changed him a bit. but not a lot. It had given him revelation that God was with him, but it hadn't changed the fundamental character of this trickster in his own heart. And God wanted to change him further. And God comes down in this man who wrestles with Jacob, who many have thought is some angelic figure, but we don't know. God came down And Jacob wrestled for the blessing of God. And God's answer was more or less, well, not like you are. You can't have the blessing of God. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to change. And I want to suggest to you that it will take more than one encounter to change you. And to change me. It will take maybe a number of encounters. God coming down, making himself known in one way or another. First of all, that he wants you to have fellowship with him. Second, he wants your character to be changed. Thirdly, he's got a call on your life, etc. But this is just a little example of many others who also were changed by God through the circumstances of their life. The biggest way that God came down to encounter his people was in Christ. So this question, can I know him, is answered for the Bible is yes, especially if you look at Christ, especially if you look at Jesus. That's one reason why the Archbishop of Canterbury and York have called the church to pray that people will see Christ in the United Kingdom. That we'll see Christ. Because God is like Jesus Christ. 
One theologian said God is Christ-like and in him there is no unchrist-likeness. That means there is nothing in Christ that is not like God. Everything that you see there is like God. It's God that we see in Christ. And we, we understand as we look at Jesus, his character. The Old Testament says time and time again, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and bounding in love and mercy and faithfulness and so on. When you see Jesus walking the road, now touching the leper, now forgiving the paralytic, now raising a young girl from near death, now healing an old lady, now calling young men to their destiny to follow him, you see the character of God. All that Jesus is, God is. That's why we read the stories of the life of Jesus over and over and over again, because <laughs> he is who God is, and God can be known in Christ. Anybody say amen to that? Okay, that's why, that's why we look at Christ and we understand his character. And what's more, we understand that the invitations that he makes, the welcome that he gives to many apply to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You hear that invitation of Jesus and you know it's for you. Except we don't like the next sentence. Take my yoke upon you <laughs> and learn from me. That's what we hear from Jesus. He wants to give us rest, but he wants us to walk in his way. And thirdly, what we see in Christ is his love over and over again. We see his love for lost and wandering people and for lost and broken people and for people who've lost any sense of value in their lives and we know God's like that that's what God's like that's why it touches our heart if we want to know what he's like he's like this and he has compassion for the lost and the isolated and those who know there's a deep spiritual hunger that woman who sort of chased all the happiness she could with five different men and is, ends up as thirsty as you can get. And Jesus says, well, I'm able to give you living water. I'm able to give you living water. And there's a hunger in our souls where we know this invitation of living water, that's for us too. If you want to know what God's like, can I know God? Yes, sure. Read the stories of Jesus. Understand his character. Understand his invitation to you. Understand his love. And it's not just for them, it's for us as well. And finally, I want to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul, and this time it is Paul and it's not Peter, and it is in Philippians chapter 3, talks about going on to know Christ. Can I know him? Yes. Yes, you can know him. You can know him as he encounters you in different ways different spontaneous things that he does he turns up in your life and you can know him if you look at Christ but he wants us to keep knowing him and for that life with God to go deeper and deeper and deeper and Paul says this knowing Christ well it's a journey Philippians chapter 3 
verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So my values have been turned upside down. Things that I used to value, I no longer value. I found myself rethinking values again this week. Lorraine's father died on Tuesday morning at about 7 o'clock um, at the age of 88. Uh, so he'd had a good innings, and in his own way, he knew the Lord. We would not have wanted his life to uh, be prolonged at all. He had been struggling with dementia for a number of years, and we had struggled also living with that dementia, Lorraine in particular. Um, and so I said to Lorraine, I said, who do you want to conduct the funeral? Because conducting the funeral of someone you're quite close to uh, is beset with challenges. Like you look at the front row and the people that you love are crying, can you hold it together is the big challenge. She said, she said I think you ought to do it. You know what to say. You know him better than anybody else. And uh, so I want you to do it. So that was resolved. Uh, so tomorrow I'm conducting my father-in-law's funeral. But these occasions do get you thinking. And you start thinking about the future. Um, and here's what I'm thinking in my mid-60s, because that's where I am. I'm thinking, I don't know whether I've got 20 years left or 10 years left or a couple of years left. And when you see people your age starting to fall like flies around you, you begin to wonder. And we've had this sort of, some, lots of high-profile figures suddenly die, haven't we? Whether it's Prince or... Have I, have I lost... I'm back, okay. Um, and we suddenly, you know, suddenly think, they're all going. I mean, is that true? We've all been... And, you know, I remember close friends dying when I was 40. And actually one of the elders of this church here died at the age of 44. And uh, I remember that very powerfully and... I was in India at the time, but came home to conduct the funeral. And uh, you start thinking, well, that sort of brings my life into perspective and reality, doesn't it? Um, and I have to say, every so often I think, well, I've had quite a few more years than Charles got. And now I've had 20 plus more years than Charles got. And I'm very, very grateful, but his life... Who knows? And I'm thinking, what are the next 20 years going to be, if there's 20 years, or is it just five years? I, who, who knows? So, I'm sorry, this isn't very cheerful for you young people who are all <laughs> vigorous and thinking, we've got years ahead of us, don't know what he's talking about. Well, until one of your friends dies, you know, who's very close to you, same age as you, and you see them go, and I'm not, it's not just one in my case, it's several uh, you know, then you start to think slightly differently and um, you start to think what is really, really important. And some of you may have heard, you know, 
the story of J. John, uh, when he was, you know, he went home to, um, I think it was his father's funeral, and somebody said to him, uh, wonder how much he left. And J. John said, all of it. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> Death the big swallower. Uh, you know, and you leave everything. And it doesn't matter who it's to. <laughs> You know, you just leave it. You let go of it. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's another life. And I'm starting to think, too, of the hope that my father-in-law did have. He, he, he was not sort of, he was not really very keen on our form of church life. He came from a Baptist stable, and he liked the Baptist stable. He didn't want to move out of it. And, but it gave him good foundations. Um, and he used to tell me what he didn't like about our church. He said, those were interesting conversations. Uh, when I, here's an interesting thing. When I first went to talk to him and said, uh, Bob, I'd very much like to marry Lorraine. I'd lost my first wife. I was in my 30s at the time. And uh, my first wife had died. Uh, I went to see Bob and I said, I'd very much like to marry Lorraine. Uh, you know, would you, would you give her your blessing? He said to me, well, I don't know whether I will. Just listen to this, some of you fellows, you, you know, because sometimes you might have to think quickly. <laughs> and I thought, good grief. You know, this is my, internally I thought, why wouldn't he want his, you know, his 33-year-old daughter to get married to this eligible sort of man in his later, later 30s or anyway, you know, and... You know, wouldn't he want that? And, I, and, you know, all these, your mind races with all of these things. And, uh, and I thought, oh, crumbs, what do I say now? Because I thought it was obvious, you know. <laughs> I mean, this was the form that I had to follow, you understand, in order to get a father's blessing. Very, very important to get a father's blessing. And so, so I'm trying to get, and in the end I said, well, Bob, I don't know quite what to say. I said, shall I tell you something, though? Actually, I don't need your blessing. But Lorraine does. So, you know, would you give her your blessing? Because she actually wants to marry me. <laughs> I did know that. I had asked her before I went to see her father. I don't know what order you're supposed to do anything, things in. Anyway, I'd asked her. And she did. He said, oh. Oh, well, I suppose if you put it like that. <laughs> so there we are. It was all done and dusted. Now, so, I, you, but, but he knew where he was going. We went and prayed with him last Sunday. After I preached here, Lorraine and I went and prayed with him because we knew his end was near, and we released him to God and to go into his presence. And we asked God to take him and to have mercy on him. Um, and within two days he was gone. What a tremendous privilege that was. It sort of has this effect on you. Uh, it makes you think what you're living for. I don't know how long I've got, but I'm determined to live the rest of my life knowing God and knowing him well <laughs> and trying to know him better than ever. In the last few months, I've mentioned this before, I've been on a precious journey leading, reading Charlie Cleverley's book on the Song of Songs. Uh, he gave me a free copy. 
It wasn't the only way you could get me to read the book, I'm sure, but, but it, a super book on what he calls the divine romance, about God calling us to know him and the desire of our heart to know him. If you can get that book, get it. I know you can because it's on sale in all bookshops. Um, you know, but if you can get it, get it, because, because what it's been doing again in me is sort of refreshing my desire to live for God and to know him above everything else. And here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You know, my values have been turned on their head. I used to be persecuting Christians. Now I just want to live for Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He'd lost his Jewish you know, credentials, he'd lost his Jewish friends, he'd lost... So I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He's done everything necessary to wash me and to make me clean and to set me free. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from dead. Not that I've already obtained this, just because I'm a Christian, I'm not there yet, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. God has come to us to get us somewhere and to take us from where we are in the mess of our sin and our isolation and our brokenness to get us walking with him. And he's got a destiny that he wants to take us on. He's taking us on this journey. This journey will involve power, resurrection power. There will be times when we will know faith to overcome, even in the midst of challenges and darkness that somebody mentioned this morning prophetically. We'll find the power of God within us when we feel the world around us is upside down and not very secure and leaves us in difficulty. We'll also know weakness because the weakness of the dark night of the soul presses us into God like nothing we ever know. And we hear that call of destiny. 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 My dear brothers and sisters, if there's one thing I felt I wanted to get across today, it's that we're not just called to be Christians. To sit here week in, week out, being amused... You know, being titivated, being encouraged, you know, but basically just tootling along day by day. We are called to know him and to know his power and definitely to know his weakness, but to know that sense of destiny that takes us somewhere. You are not the finished article yet. Praise God. I'm not the finished article yet. Praise God. There is more knowing God for me to know. I've got, I hope, another 20 years to keep burning out for God and to keep pursuing God and to keep running with God. I want to know him and I want to keep on walking with him. But you 20-year-olds, there is nothing else to live for, let me tell you. 
There is absolutely nothing else to live for but God from his kingdom. And you can amass all the worldly reputation, wealth, and everything else, and success and achievement and pleasure you want at the end of the day you'll pass into the presence of God. And all of that wood, hay, and stubble will disappear, be burnt up, and only that which is worth keeping, the gold and the silver and the precious stones, will stand on that day because that's the kingdom and that's knowing Christ. And I want to commend to you, you can know God. You can know God, and you know him in Christ. And it's a high call, a call to power, a call to suffering, but a call to destiny. And may each one of you enter into that destiny and run for God. We've got a few minutes just to worship, not long. So you're going to have to respond quickly if you're going to respond to this message. If there are people here who do not know God... Like I've been talking about, you can know God today. You can make a decision which says, I want to leave all that life of brokenness, isolation, wandering on my own. I want to leave all of that, and I want to start following Jesus like you've been talking about. And if that's what you want, I just invite you to come and let someone pray for you because they'll show you how you can get hold of that. There is nothing like knowing God and having the hope that he brings. I want to say to some young people here, there is nothing like knowing God and walking, blazing away, you know, because you're, you're getting hold of your destiny in God. But I sense that some people are messing around in the Christian life and you've had ups and downs and, you know, it's just been, just not been clear. And God wants to say to you, it's time. It's time to let go of muddle and wandering around the wilderness wanderings and, you know, and to take hold of God again and say, I am going to get hold of him whatever happens. And there are older people. There are older people who, you know, you've had your families and all the rest of it, but now's the time to pursue God like you've never pursued him, like the Apostle Paul said, and to know him and the power of his resurrection and his sufferings and you know, get all the destiny that God's called you to in serving in his kingdom. And if you know that you're stuck and you need to get unstuck by somebody praying with you to release you from whatever holds you back, I encourage you to do it today. We'll worship and Keith will take us forward from here.